Welcome to IOM Belgium and Luxembourg's mini-series podcast focusing on the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Today's guests are Willeke and Nian Shama, who both work at Hand in Hand VZW, a social-cultural organization that aims to eradicate structural racism in Belgium through motivating and supporting local action and partnering on a national level. So thank you for being here. Let's dive right in. Firstly, what's the mission of Hand in Hand VZW? What does the title mean? Uh, first of all, thanks for inviting us on this very important topic. Um, yeah, so the mission of Hand in Hand is to uh, make sure that in uh, Belgium there's equal rights uh, for everyone, but equal rights means no discrimination and also no discrimination in how the rules are set up because if you already have a, an unequal view on how you... Um, how you make rules. That means that the rules might be enforced in a way that are unequal just because the structure behind it and the idea behind it is uh, is set up uh, in a wrong way. Also, we work on structural racism. So a lot of times uh, um, people uh, have examples of like very outspoken um, uh, racism on an interpersonal level. But uh, for us, that's only the tip of the iceberg. So there's so many um, institutions that still repeat the same patterns uh, out of the colonial era. So it's a way bigger problem. There's also still so much invisible that we need to lay bare in order, in order to change how our society is built up. So to not repeat those patterns in interpersonal uh, relationships. We work uh, out of agency. Um, so agency meaning that people who are victimized, uh, that are victims of racism, not only are victims, but that they also have an agency in uh, themselves in self-determination. And especially in uh, how to eradicate racism, there's a shared, uh, a shared experience uh, in also determining themselves in how to want to put a stop to racism. Uh, to racism um, and uh, we want to do that in solidarity so that means victims of racism and people who have uh, white privileges working together uh, in order to end this and uh, uh, to making sure that uh, um, everybody recognizes what the colonial structures have done to them in the in the present yeah. um, maybe on hand yes. in hand what the title means not only uh, uh, us uh, on, uh, on, on a national level, but also on a local level uh, uh, that people are doing actions. There's so many people in their own communes yeah. taking action. Yeah. We work very closely with local communities, with uh, grassroots communities, uh, because we, as Hand in Hand, uh, is a, is, we are a very small team, uh, but we are supposed to be visible everywhere in Belgium, well, at least in Flanders but we cannot do this alone. So we work hand in hand with the local communities. We, um, we um, support them in, uh, their, their, in their actions. We provide them with the expertise. We provide them with the materials that they need. We assist them when it comes to organizing events by maybe contacting Sabam and uh, um, showing them um, what they need to make sure that uh, they have the right documentation, like for example, uh, certification from the police uh, um, or the commune to, 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 to organize a public event. Um, if I can just pick on what uh, Willeke said about um, 
involving everybody, uh, both uh, the targets of racism as well as those who are in a privileged position. Um, we feel that as actually in this day and age, everybody is affected by racism uh, in a way um, we have become a super diverse, we are not just diverse, we are a super diverse society, which means that uh, uh, we don't have, a, in some communities, we don't have a single majority uh, uh, you know, cluster of, of people, but we have um, several clusters of minorities that form a society. What that means uh, is that um, there, there, is a, there is actually no clear boundary that distinguishes who, who is. Uh? So um, people are affected by racism uh, uh, maybe even as as witnesses, eh, omstanders, eh, as witnesses to the racism through their children because their children are in a class that is also occupied by children or classmates from different uh, communities and also they receive triggers through the social media and this leaves some of our students, some of our um, uh, some of our people um, paralyzed, not knowing what to do, but just as traumatized by what they experience. So we no longer see racism in the view of uh, allyship with people who want to, uh, people who are privileged, who want to join, people who are targeted. We see them as comrades because they are affected. They are also in some way traumatized by what they see or what their children see and what they certainly do not want future generations to see. Thank you for this very clear explanation of your mission and uh, what your organization means. Um, so for the second question, um, your organization works on structural racism and also works on decolonization. Uh, but what is the link between decolonization and anti-racism? When people talk about decolonization, they often think about the geopolitical aspect of uh, colonization, the cessation of the colonial rule. And um, here in Hand in Hand, we say that actually it's about the, the mentality that was used to establish the colonial rule, the mentality of dehumanizing the other so as to rob them, so as to take advantage of them, so as to, and also coupled with that idea of a certain cluster, the ruling, uh, ruling class, the colonizer, is superior. Mm? Um, we feel that this mentality has, has, can be traced back in today's society and has actually infected all echelons of our society where a certain cluster of people uh, see themselves as being the superior, as being um, the ones who have got uh, who have, who've got the legitimacy to say or to determine what can um, what how society should should be run. Typically, the cluster of people who are considered as not being superior, as not being inferior, do not have the same privileges. Unfortunately, the the inferior class of people is largely uh, largely consists of people of uh, african descent but then of course there are other um, there are other targets of racism on the basis of religion on the basis of sexuality on the basis of uh, 
you know, uh, and that's why uh, over the years uh, there has been a kind of a redefinition of what precisely uh, the different manifestations of racism are. So we talk about Islamophobia, um, um, anti-Roma, um, anti-LGBTQ, uh, and Afriphobia, among others. Obviously, um, again, we bring in, in hand in hand, the whole idea of intersectionality, where we believe that people um, can be uh, excluded at certain cross, uh, at certain um, cross uh, intersections, or where one or more of these um, these points of exclusions uh, in meet. Uh, so you can be excluded not only on the basis of being an African, but also a Muslim African, uh, or a Muslim African who is uh, who is perhaps also uh, an LGBTQ. Uh? So these are all these are all um, supplemented on the person. Now, how does decolonization? How does colonization link up then with uh, structural racism? Uh, we feel that. Um, that whole mentality of excluding the other on the basis on the basis that I just told you um, finds itself also in in our education, in our employment, uh, in our even in our health sector, our housing sector, uh, where people consciously or subconsciously uh, are automatically um, at a disadvantage uh, in comparison with people who are members of that culture that perceives itself as being superior. It doesn't matter whether they are poor, it doesn't matter whether they are crippled, it doesn't matter whether they have other specific difficulties, but the fact that they are considered members of the superior class of people puts them automatically at an advantage. And this is something that we do not accept in hand in hand, we feel that everybody requires, has a right to equitable treatment. We consciously do not use equality because equal is not, does not cover that equitability. It has to be fair on all levels. We consider also that there has to be a consideration of the vacuum that is created by all those years of exclusion. So we take that into consideration, which is why we are not directly um, supporting, for example, a quota system or unconscious bias or diversity uh, or an inclusion policy as uh, a solution if it does not also consider the agency of the excluded person, if it does not also con consider um, the fact that uh, that they have suffered so many years of exclusion means that they are not on the same level when it comes to um, when it comes to qualifications, when it comes to training, when it comes to even self-awareness and self-actualization, and so it's it's not possible to put them in a position just to fill in a quota without compromising their meritocracy, without compromising their agency. So we feel that all this needs to be taken into consideration. Yeah, I think uh, Nianchama said said a lot. Maybe I'll I'll just complement with some uh, examples. Uh, what uh, Nianchama was referring to with like the end of uh, the territorial uh, colonization. That's what most people understand with decolonization, the independence of the territories that were colonized. In 
in a free trade economy, what people continuously um, uh, repeat, that would not have been possible because if everything moves free and if everyone moves free, then you would constantly have like an equalizer. But here you have a system that prevents people from moving just based on the place where they're coming. And in general, it's uh, um, from former, uh, a system that is inherited from former colonies. And on top of that, what Nian Chama was saying, in many, many uh, ideas that are like repeated as normative, where like um, some knowledge is valued more than other knowledge, some knowledge is seen as objective, uh, a very good example of this is during the COVID crisis, there was research uh, um, in different parts of the world. For example, in mid-Africa, there were some research laboratories that uh, uh, did research on also on finding a solution. The WHO supports that. Everybody's uh, WHO, uh, World Health Organization, says we're going to find a solution together. Only biggest problem is the research methods require a lot of money uh, to do different research phases. And why is research not validated in other parts of the world? Not because it's not valid solutions, but because the research frame that is set in order to globalize and to, to accept and to standardize is the Western uh, method, which costs so much money that is not invested uh, uh, and that, that, that is not provided. Okay, thank you for this uh, explanation. So going further on decolonization, can you tell me more about your campaigns and specifically the new campaign that you have called Decolonization uh, 2.0? Yeah, so what we said already, uh, I think uh, certainly during the COVID uh, pandemic when there were uh, um, there was a massive visualization of the uh, urgency of the problem during the Black Lives Matter uh, protest. Um, I think the concept of decolonization is known a little in society. It starts to uh, be known that it's not only about, uh, as we said, territorial decolonization, uh, but still um, our new campaign will be about uh, re trying again to broaden uh, the concept to show the structurality and to keep the urgency on that concept uh, going. Also to um, start uh, making people learn even better what our uh, uh, history is. So the learning, our, our history, learning how what the structural problems in our society are, because if you don't, if certain truths are hidden, then you cannot unlearn and stop your patterns and your uh, behaviors. That before you can start uh, thinking about relearning. So the bro the broadness uh, of the concept is the first focus uh, of the campaign. And then we have certain themes where we will focus on, amongst others, the labor market, because labor is a vital vital part of providing uh, in people's uh in people's needs to uh, structure other parts of their life. Our whole society is very much um, focused on uh, money and money is a resource to make other parts of your life um, work and to make sure that you can execute other parts of your life. But if you're denied the access to labor market, if you're denied to be yourself, if you are, once you enter an organization, if you're denied to be yourself to the fullest, 
if you are not visible in certain parts of uh, of business in society, in certain layers, like the higher up in an organization you go, the less diversity there is, the less acceptance of differences. And that is all because we have a certain idea of what it means uh, in terms of quality, in terms of required skills, the way we value diplomas. So labor markets will be for sure one of the teams where we work on in the future. Um, then also the the heritage uh, we had. There's a big part of the public which is uh, also through the actuality known with the uh, material heritage. For example, the statues that were very much in the news and are a symbol like a visible symbol of what uh, racism means, the colonial statues that are still there. But apart from that, you have a lot of ideas, the Im uh, immaterial, uh, immaterial. immaterial heritage, the traditions <clears throat> that we have that repeat patterns, exclude people, while everybody's asking uh, for a society where we are all together. If we exclude in the way that we do things... Uh, people to participate, then it's not even possible to live those traditions together and to build our society, to build new patterns uh, together. And then uh, another theme that we're for sure going to tackle in the new campaign is the link with climate. Uh, the extractive mentality, which was at its height also during the industrial revolution, the grabbing of resources, and then currently that just continued into uh, treating the earth and especially also the people as resources, um, dumping our dumping our garbage in other uh, in other continents um, and making rules on an international level surrounding that. So that is links that for us uh, still have to uh, be made more clear in the uh, in the coming years. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, if I can just, um, my, my colleague Bilke has explained it absolutely perfectly about our campaigns, but I just wanted to take a, a step back on what she brought up earlier about the illusion. And this is actually the strength of that colonial mentality because the colonizers used propaganda, used brainwashing to, um, to promote their, to promote their idea that the other is less or to dehumanize the other. But they also used the same propaganda here amongst their own people to give that illusion that they are superior, to give that illusion that it is their right to lord over the other and that you know it is their privilege to, to, um, uh, to occupy certain positions with respect uh, to the other. Uh, and it is precisely this illusion that we are daring to kind of diffuse. We are, tr we are trying to bust. We are trying to bust this bubble and show people because we've been. Many people have sat in that comfort zone that they are privileged without even thinking about it. It is just taken for granted, and we are telling them, no. Um, you need to look into it and question. Uh, where that lie comes from. Are you truly uh, that privileged? And how can you then uh, counter, the, counter the factors or the, the, the fallacy of your so-called uh, superiority? A good example is in education. I mean, there are really very good examples that Willeke has given, but I think it's illustrative to talk about education and knowledge because it's all also about the knowledge. Yeah? 
in our society now, like I said earlier, we have become super diverse, which means our students, our, uh, our pupils are also super diverse. And if we continue giving them a purely Eurocentric uh, education, uh, we are not empowering them, we are not giving them the tools to manage, uh, to step into a world that is super diverse. Now, important is when it comes to unlearning, we need to know, but where does this Eurocentricity come from? And we go back to the knowledge itself and it's not just colonization, but it can be traced back to the time of Descartes when knowledge was split from the theo, from knowledge coming from God to knowledge being centered on the man, the man who is contextualized in the West. By the way, I said man. If you compare that with the also the philosophy of homo economicus paterfamilias, it means that ratio, all ratio is centered on the on the on the male heteronormal western man and females western females are then dependents and non-racial and by extension anything non-western but anything non-western is non-racial this idea has trickled down through our knowledge centers our universities our ways of understanding the world negotiating the world and uh, today's world in today's world, we need to question the relevance of still imparting this Eurocentric vision, which is totally impoverished to tackle a, pluris, a, pluri, a pluriversal mm -hmm. world. We need to create multi-perspectives. We need to create multi-perspectives of knowledge, resources in our education system. We need to... Uh, to to to, um, to include knowledge resources from the from the orient from the from the eastern from the african from the there are so many knowledge resources that are not included in our education system this is the process we calling unlearn so that we can relearn a new way of going about it if we fail to do so actually what we are doing is no less than child abuse because we are promising when you send your children to school you're promising them that you're going to give them tools to tackle their world when they leave school. But they leave school and they're not able to tackle their world. Many of them start to find ways of uh, boosting their impoverished knowledge through international, um, uh, th uh, through exchange uh, programs, through extra learning, uh, long, long li uh, lifelong learning. And so it's not right. But this is just one example. The same goes for health, for the, the, for health, for labor, for politics, for media, for sports, for all echelons of our society. We need to see how impoverished it is to hang on to this Eurocentric vision and allow for multi-perspectives. Yeah, if I might add on that, it's... Uh because education ticks uh, very much uh, uh, with me also. Um, I agree completely with what Nian Shama says, like on the one hand, we, we have the illusion that we want our students, our new generations uh, to be completely themselves and to come up with new, for example, for the climate problem, to come up with new ideas on how we're gonna tackle the uh, society together. But we hide certain parts of our own history, of the world, of how currently what uh, um, 
what kind of diversity in thinking, in ways of tackling problems, uh, in wisdom is, uh, as well as in the world, but also here already present. So we deny first reality and then after we say like, just bring yourself to the fullest, but we're not going to value yours yours to the fullest. So it's kind of a contradiction <clears throat> if we want to come up to living, uh, having better uh, living standards for all of us, having living better together than our values. And we need to start changing the way first we look at things, the way we are in the world, the way we see ourselves, and then we can come up with better solutions. But otherwise, we're just pushing everybody into the same frame again while expecting different frames, which is highly illogical. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, I totally agree. And thank you for your knowledge on this topic. Uh, so for the last question, um, we would like to know what would people need to know about what will be coming in the months ahead for your organization? Yeah, so uh, we just uh, we just launched a campaign. Actually, launching for us means also that in the... In the um, past months we have done already consultation of our partners and we're continuously uh, having this conversation because part of the process of uh, decolonization and to adding voices is not to add voices as a window dressing but to constantly try to reach out before you finalize objectives so in that way we came to the teams and we're uh, already consulting partners to see who fits like a uh, um, the who in which plans do we fit and also like where you can find a match how you can lift each other up before you uh make an end goal because usually what happens is that there's only already actionable end goals and then people get involved that is part of the that is yeah a big part of the pro problem actually so the process we try to tackle it very organically and to try to reach out as much as possible also to the people um in the local action groups to see what uh, resounds with them as like a uh, uh, a klangbord back and forth um, in order to uh, also try to um, make our campaign stronger by adding their feedback into this phase of the campaign. So in the coming months, the teams, we just said like climate, labor markets and uh, immaterial and yeah, heritage in general, but with the focus on uh, immaterial, uh, we will launch those. And uh, we ask continuously for people to reach out um, and to add their expertise. So the uh, more specifics, they will be added to our e-signs mm. and, uh, uh, and through our website anti-racism.be. Uh, where people can follow that will be uh, before the summer where uh, you will find specific information. Uh. Yeah. We in Hand in Hand are very much aware of, um, you know, over the years, because like personally I have been an activist for more than 30 years, but over the years I've noticed that one of the mistakes that people make, is uh, organizations make, is to design really beautiful, wonderful campaigns and then implement them, and then wonder why they don't achieve their desired goals. Um, it's the same. It's the same uh, approach or the same uh, methodology that was used that is used in development work, where 
all these beautiful development goals are designed in the West and then just implemented because they're beautiful. All the experts have worked on it and then they implement them and then they don't work. And they ask themselves, why don't they work? So over the years, we know that just living, inhabiting our society, we inhabit it in co-creation with one another. We reflect upon uh, our politics, our media, in co-creation with one another. We co-constitute uh, one another, which is why we feel that even with a campaign, we need to work in co-creation with the society so that it resonates with their needs, so that they have a say in what is being decided, so that it just doesn't fall on their laps as a done deal. Like, okay, this is what we have done, we've consulted experts, and this is what we want you to participate in. Um, now, to uh, enable them to do this, we have designed uh, certain tools, we have worked on certain um, training uh, sessions, uh, we have developed certain training sessions that can help um, organizations that want to actually get into this campaign, because it's, again, another shortcoming in most campaigns they tend to speak in very abstract terms and people are left with a question, how are we going to translate that into action? So we, we've, we've done the due diligence and done the research, we've done the due diligence and consulted and are in constant consultation because that's an ongoing, the consultation is going to be ongoing throughout this. And then we've done the due diligence in developing the tools that will enable them to function uh, to to uh, to implement uh, this. Besides that, we are also constantly working on terminologies because we believe that largely the terminologies frame the context. We I don't know if you notice, but we try very much not to use words like victims of racism because we believe there are targets of racism. Among the targets, there are some who get victimized. But we are, there, there will always be targets of racism. A target has got agency. A target has got a say, just as much as a perpetrator. But a victim is one that has then been stripped of that agency, of been stripped of that ability to respond. Uh, so we, we are very, very conscious about the terminologies that we use. We don't like to use, for example... Um, diversity because we see the um, we see that uh, we realize that uh, diversity and diversity policy or inclusion does not take in all the multi-layeredness of this issue. Uh, we also are um, uh, 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 very conscious uh, about um, our use of you know whether it is you know equality or equity. Or, so we we feel that when we say equality, there is there are, like I mentioned earlier, there are certain aspects that make sure that even though people seem to be equal, they are not equal. So we talk rather about equitability. So there is a very uh, important aspect that is also, again, continuous in being very much aware of the terminologies that we use. And even when we have reached a certain consensus with other organizations about certain terminologies, we at Hand in Hand still continue to dig deeper to know whether this is the right terminology or not. For example, at the moment, development organizations are now um, have now realized 
the coloniality of development organizations as a term. And they have shifted, uh, many of them have shifted to international solidarity, which sounds good. But even though it sounds good, we in Hand in Hand still question, how can we have, how can we speak of international when only one part of the world decides what a nation is, when one part of the world decides who can engage on an international capacity in, in a multilateral discussion, one part of the world has the veto and the other part can only be participants. Can there really be international at this moment? We question that. What about solidarity? Same thing about solidarity. I give an example. During the, during the floods in Liège, um, during the floods in Liège, it was really, really a problem. It was globally uh, broadcast. But we have certain communities, like for example in Africa, in Lomé, that have got experience in this kind of freak floods. Now, if a delegation from there decided to offer itself and come to Liège with their expertise, with their support, would they really be allowed to come here? Wouldn't there be questions, oh, they're coming to stay here, they're coming to take our property, they're coming to seek asylum, they're coming to this. They would never be taken seriously as, uh, as experts. But the other way around is almost taken for granted. So solidarity, again, is a one-directional route. So we need to constantly question these terminologies that we use because they automatically frame the context. And this is something, again, that, is, that we are constantly working on in Hand in Hand. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise, your knowledge, and please uh, look up Hand in Hand Visit with for, for the campaign that's going on now and for more information. I thank you so much, Willeken Nianshama. You have been listening to a podcast developed by IOM Belgium and Luxembourg. Stay tuned for more content to be released on this platform and thank you so much for joining us.